Would you take your Bibles, if you have them, and turn to John chapter number 8, John chapter number 8, and uh, we're going to look beginning at verse number 30, and I want to talk about this subject of continuing in my word, continuing in my word. Nice to have you all here today, amen? I'm, I am Pastor Cole, I'll be out at the picnic, I'll get, I hope I get to meet you. I'll have jeans on, it's going to shock some of you. It always does, but uh, some people look at me like I just quit being spiritual or something because I put my jeans on. <laughs> oh, oh, well, praise the Lord. We'll have a good time. I got the silicone spray, too, because uh, we have the, uh, the slide for the kids, uh, the bounce house, and I like to spray silicone on there to really, really hurt them. Uh, they go down at unbelievable speeds when we get the... By the way, if you got kids and uh, they're going to go down the slide and they got short sleeves on, uh, a little advice here, tell them to keep their arms up because uh, they will get brush burns. They'll be flying down that thing. They will get brush burns. And uh, it happens every year. So you got to keep your hands up when you're going down that. You can go down it too. I'll go down it. And I'm 65 years old. So uh, Amen. I want you to look at a pattern here in uh, verse 30, believer first, verse 31, disciple second, verse 32, victor third. All right, let's read it and look for that pattern. In um, John chapter number 8, and he spake these words, verse 30, as he spake these words, many believed on him. Believer first. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Disciples second. And then victors, the victory third, verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We uh, want to encourage you to examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith, to see if, as it says here in verse 30, you have ever done what they did. It says, as he spake these words, many believed on him. Have you ever done that? You say, well, I've always been a believer. No, no. When you hear the words of the Lord Jesus, he said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Have you ever heard the voice of Jesus Christ speak to you from the Word of God? Not literally speak to you, but He speaks to your heart, He prompts your heart, He, he confirms His Word in your heart. Because some people, some people say that. They say, well, I've always been a believer. There, there's no such thing. There has to be a time... In your life, when confronted with the words, the claims of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, you believed. Now, believe does not mean, this word doesn't mean, by the way, this word here, believed in verse 30, believed in verse 31, you will find it 99 times just in the book you're reading, the gospel of John. It sounds like it's a pretty major theme. 
Believe, 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 believe. And that's one of the reasons why we often say to people who just got saved, or they, they have no familiarity with the Bible and they get their first Bible, we often tell them, start by reading the book of John. Because that's something they'll read, something that will be confirmed to them over and over again. Believe, 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 believe. You can't get away from it. It's like what we used to call a broken record when I was growing up. It just keeps repeating itself. Believe. Why? It's important. You need to believe. Now, what does it mean? It doesn't mean that you consent to some kind of historical facts with your head. Like, well, I believe Jesus Christ existed. You know, well, I believe Abraham Lincoln existed. George Washington, that's called history. Uh, Agreeing to, you know, with mental assent to historical facts is not believing. This word believe is a reference to trust, to confidence, to dependence on someone else. And in this case, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. If I asked you today, if if you're going to go to heaven someday, when you die and you say, yes, I believe that, and I said, what do you base your belief on? If you answered something like this, well, I've been a pretty good person, I've gone to church, I've been baptized, I've taken my first Holy Communion, I used to be an altar boy, I've been confirmed, I've given money to charity, I've uh, uh, done good works, good deeds, I've never robbed a bank, I've never killed anybody, Uh, that shows that you are believing in yourself. And what you have done. You're believing in your religion. You're believing in, in church. But you're not believing in Christ. That's not salvation. This word believe means where you forsake all of that. In fact, Isaiah said all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And Hebrews 6.1 says that the foundation of our faith is repentance from dead works. you got to turn your back on all those dead works. But I went to church all my life. I went to Sunday school. That, that, that's wonderful. Those are things we should do, but those can't save our soul from our sins. Our sins have separated us from a very holy God. And the way back to God is not by trying to do a whole bunch of good things, believing in yourself. Some people really think, I'm going to die, I'm going to stand before the judgment, and God's going to review all the wonderful things I did and let me in. No, that's believing in yourself. Verse 30 says, And he spake these words, many believed on him. Many believed on him, not on themselves, not on religion, not on their Judaism. They were Jews, not on our Christianity, our religion, or our church, not on the Baptist church. They didn't believe on that. It doesn't say believe on the Baptist church, and thou shalt be saved. In Acts chapter 16, verse 31, it says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Not our works. But his works, when he died on the cross for our sins, that crimson river we just heard about, the blood that he shed there, when he died, I mean, why would he die such a horrible death? 
And if you've never really considered the death of Christ on the cross, then go to the Old Time Baptist Church's YouTube and, and listen to Monday night sermon by Dr. Johnny Pope, where he goes he goes through the Bible and explains the sufferings of Christ, not just on the cross, but before the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then in Pilate's Hall. And then on the cross, and all the suffering Christ, why would he do any of that if we could save ourselves? So I want to encourage you this morning to quit trusting in yourself to save yourself and go to heaven, because you can't. You cannot save yourself. But Jesus, that's why we call him the Savior. That makes sense, doesn't it? That's why we call him the Savior, because we need a Savior. We're sinners. It's all you need to qualify to go to heaven is be a sinner who needs a Savior and ask Jesus to save you. It's so simple. A child can believe, Jesus said. Children can believe, Matthew 18 says, and be converted. Out at Countryside this morning, I was at church. We had a good day. About 45 people showed up. Two children were baptized after they believed. The thing the preacher asked them before they were baptized was, have you before this time received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior by faith? And they said they had. They believed first, and then they were baptized. Now, after we become believers, verse 30, it's not supposed to stop there. There's a next step in the progression of our lives as being Christians, verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, so they're believers now, if, boy, that's a big if, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Notice now the word disciples. Believers first, disciples second, but disciples is conditional. Believing is not conditional. It's unconditional. It's based on the love of God. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's no conditions to that. You just believe and you're saved. But now we have a condition to be his disciple. Now, that doesn't mean if you don't become his disciple, you're not going to heaven. No, we just talked about that under point number one. But he says, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. So after we believe, then we are supposed to continue in his word. Now his word is the Bible. His word is the Bible. After you believe. Now I don't know when you believed or how long ago it was that you believed. But since that time have you continued in his word. That's what he wants. For us to be his disciple, we have got to continue in his word. Now, that's kind of what I, the, reason, the, the introduction to the message. But the wonderful result of continuing in his word, and this is something where some of you might be a little bit frustrated about. Verse 32, it says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And maybe you're saying, well, I believed on Christ, but I'm still struggling with this, or I'm still struggling with this, or I still have these questions that, that I just can't get answers to. Well, you've got to continue in the Word, 
And as you continue in the word, you learn the truth, and then the truth sets you free. There's a lot of believers, point one, who still have addictions, still have stubborn habits, still have sins and temptations that just plague them every day, and, uh, or, or, or have doubts have questions, and I know we don't get all of our answers, all of our questions answered in this life, but we sure can get a lot of them answered. And uh, they're, they're still bitter. They're still unforgiving towards somebody in their past. Uh, they still have hatred. They still have anger that plagues them and poisons their soul. And... All kinds of lusts and cares, anxieties, worries, but boy, they're believers. You ask them, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and received them as their Savior? Yes. Why are you still the way you are? Because they didn't continue in the Word. Because if they had continued in the Word, verse 31, they would have learned the truths, verse 32, that would set them free. I know this from experience because when I got saved in 1969, I spent the next 11 years frustrated trying to live the Christian life, trying to figure out what's wrong with me. I mean, I had a lot of good times and got to lead a lot of people to the Lord and everything, but I was like this huge pendulum between carnality and spirituality and back to carnality and spirituality and back to carnality and worldliness and back to spirituality. And man, I just finally quit. I did. I tossed in the towel and said I quit. And I just went back to the world, especially in my army days. I said, forget that Christian life. I tried, but I wasn't in the Word. I was in the Word sporadically when I had to go to church or something like that. I'd, you know... But I wasn't in the Word. I mean, if you only ate once a week, you would be physically uh, incapable of functioning. All right? You wouldn't be able to function if you only ate once a week, or twice a week, or three times a week. But if you feed yourself every day, you'll be able to function physically. And the same thing is true spiritually. And, And there's no way I can soft soap this. You got to feed yourself. You got to feed yourself. If ye continue, Jesus, there's a big if there. If ye continue in my word, then shall you be my disciples indeed. And in obeying verse 31, you'll learn truths in the word of God that will set you free. And man, there is a lot of truths in the word of God. I mean, like, for instance, the Holy Spirit filled life. That's a truth if you continue in the Word of God that the, the, the Bible will teach you. Being filled with the Spirit, having a fellowship with the Spirit, having the filling of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the um, um, flowing of the Holy Spirit, the freedom of the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit, the fight of the Holy Spirit. That's just an alliteration one time I taught myself because I was in the Word 
And I, I, I realized the Holy Spirit was living inside of me. I was taught that by the Word. I could have communion with Him. I was taught that by the Word. I started having communion with Him. I started having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, it was like getting the cables in your car connected to the battery. And finally, I started drawing power from the Holy Spirit. And that started to set me free from addictions and and hatred that I had, and unforgiveness, and bitterness that was poisoning my soul. And the Holy Spirit's power began to set me free from those things, because as I continued in the Word, verse 31, I learned truth in verse 32 that set me free. Because I thought I was going to have to live the rest of my existence as one big, huge, giant wreck of a human being. But the Lord makes all things beautiful in His time. And He can change us, but you've got to be in the Word. You cannot expect Pastor Cole to ever give you enough through my preaching to make it. I'm not good enough. And we don't meet enough. I mean, I could be Chef Emeril and provide you with a smorgasbord this afternoon where you'll be stuffed to the rafters and you'll think you're never going to eat again. But come 6 o'clock tonight, you're going to start feeling some pains in here. And you know what you're going to say? Boy, that Chef Emerald sure was a failure. I'm hungry again. Is that what you're going to say? No, you wouldn't say that. You'd say, well, he fed me a good meal, but I'm hungry again. I guess I'm going to have to feed myself. I'm going to have to go to the refrigerator, go to the microwave, whatever. Get the leftovers out. I've got to feed myself. Monday morning. Doesn't matter how good Chef Emerald. Then let's say Chef Emerald shows up on Wednesday night and makes a big smorgasbord for us. And we're stuffed to the gills. I never had food that good in my life. Thursday morning, you'll be hungry again. You'll be hungry again. And uh, it's not the chef's fault. Do you ever see people that quit and say, right, why'd you quit church? Well, I just wasn't being fed there. Well, feed yourself. You've got to feed yourself. And in feeding yourself, continuing in the Word, you will learn the truths that will set you free, and you'll become changed. And, and boy, when you can live with yourself, boy, does life get good right about then. When you can live with yourself, boy, when you can conquer yourself through the truths in the scriptures, that's when you start to enjoy life. But boy, people, mm. and it's hard to get along with anybody else if you can't get along with yourself. And there are so many truths in here. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So we need to be disciples, verse 31. And I want to just kind of like pivot here, the sermon. Because the subtitle of my message is The Origin of the Sunday School. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. I want to encourage you to attend church. You're here. But keep attending church. Attend church more often. In fact, turn to Hebrews chapter 10 if you can find that. Many of you know what this says. Hebrews chapter number 10, and then I want to get to the Sunday school, because next week we're beginning a kind of a new 
Sunday school format that I'm pretty excited about. Pastor Barron's coming home today. And uh, Brother Doug's back. He got back yesterday. He doesn't remember English, though. Where is he? Oh, he's downstairs. First day back, and he doesn't even show up here. But he's back from Italy, so we're, we're glad for Brother Doug being back. Amen. Um, Hebrews 10, you know this. This talks about the importance of church. And in verse number 24, it says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now that's after we're saved. Let's provoke each other to love and to good works. I'm supposed to provoke you to do something for God, do something with God. And you're supposed to provoke me. Do something for God. Do something with God. Uh, do things with your time that will outlast time. Do eternal things. Provoke each other to love and to good works. But then it says this in verse number 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. So whoever wrote Hebrews back then, almost 2,000 years ago, he, he noticed that some people were not attending church or assembly. By the way, that's what the word church means. If you study the word church, it means assembly, it means gathering, it means a congregation. And you say, oh, I can have church out on the lake with my fishing pole. Is that an assembly? Is that a gathering? Is that a congregation? The purpose for the church is not just so you can get something out of it, but so you can meet somebody else who needs prayer and minister to them. Care about them. Use your talents, your gifts, your calling to edify the body of Christ. And so, we're not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You're here this morning. As the manner is. But then it says, but exhorting one another, encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now what does that mean, as you see the day approaching? Jesus is coming again. It's called the rapture. It's going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. There is absolutely no way to get ready for it, unless you get ready for it beforehand and make sure you're saved. And then you and I be serving the Lord and living for the Lord up until then. I don't know when he's coming. But I think most of us can agree, if you've ever studied biblical prophecy, that we at least see the day approaching, as this verse says. And as it says, as you see the day approaching, it says we should assemble even more, not less. Why? Because two things are going to happen prophetically. Things are going to get worse before Jesus comes, and people are going to get worse. Isn't that good news this morning? Boy, I just, I'm glad I came to church. What did the pastor tell us? Things are going to get worse. People are going to get worse. But you know, the church is like a haven. It's a little bit of heaven down earth. I know it's not perfect, but it's a little oasis in a, a dark, dry, thirsty world where we can go and have fellowship and sing praises and thank God for how good and how great he is. Here's some preaching, here's some teaching, and it kind of refreshes us before we have to go back Monday to the world. We've got to work, we've got to go to school, whatever. And I believe that he's indicating here it's going to get so bad, and, and I might talk about this a little bit out there. I'm going to be real brief out there, believe me, because it's going to be warm, it'll be melting, 
And uh, if you're having trouble staying awake now, uh, but uh, things are going to get worse, folks. But we're supposed to continue. When Paul talked about how bad things are going to get in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 9, you know what he says in verse 10? But continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and hast been assured of. He didn't say quit. Did give up, clam up, wait for the rapture. He says, no, continue in the things. That's what Jesus is saying, if you continue. If you continue, as we see the day approaching. So one of the things I want to invite you to in closing today is to Sunday school. Now you say, Pastor, you haven't been to Sunday school in 14 years. <laughs> Who are you to tell us to come to Sunday school? That's because I've been doing some church planting and not staying home. The last 14 years, I've been in two different churches every Sunday morning in my life, just about, and loving it. I, I just had a great time out at Countryside this morning. It's what they used to call circuit-riding preachers in the country, especially this, this, this country was built by circuit-riding preachers, and we need to get back to that. We don't have enough preachers these days. We need to get back. Some of those preachers in our history used to have eight churches in their circuit. And they'd ride around, some of them on mules and horses. And there were times where the churches that they would go to on a circuit, they could only get there once a month. But they opened the churches. Somehow God blessed that. Shoeball Stearns down in South Carolina, at Sandy Creek Baptist Church. He was one of the great. Look him up, Shoeball Stearns. He, that little church of theirs, uh, Sandy Creek, started 42 other churches. Imagine that. And then the influence of those spread out across the South so that they believed the influence of those churches started 25,000 other churches. And the result is what we still call, now he's back in the 1700s, it's what we still call to this day the Bible Belt. Circuit-riding preachers, and we need circuit-riding preachers, and I appreciate your support uh, for me doing that, and I hope I can continue to do that as long as I live, if, if God allows. But uh, Sunday school was started 200, almost 250 years ago by a man named Robert Rakes, and I want to close and just read the story of the history of how we got Sunday school started, because next week we're starting kind of a new format Pastor Barron, I put him in charge of it. He's shuffled some personnel around. He's shuffled some classrooms around. All the kids and teens will be learning the same curriculum, and you can go home a lot easier and discuss that with your kids. Pastor Barron will be preaching uh, teaching in this room right here to adults, senior citizens. It's really going to be good. I, I, I would really want to encourage you to start coming early next Sunday and become a Sunday school attender. If you have a family, become a Sunday school family. Now, Robert Rakes uh, started the Sunday school over in England, and uh, he lived from 1735 to 1811. And uh, he saw a need in his society, and, and uh, necessity is often, the, the world says, the mother of uh, invention. And he invented the Sunday school. Let me read the story, uh, and then our time will be done. 
Uh, somebody wrote this story of how we got the Sunday school. Robert knelt beside his father's grave after the funeral. Where would he go now? What would he do with his life? He'd always worked beside his father in the print shop, but now those days were gone forever. He mopped his cheery face with a handkerchief and stood at his feet. Leaving the graveyard, Robert walked back to the printing shop that now belonged to him. He and his father had spent the last several years working in Gloucester, England's, on their newspaper, the Gloucester Journal. Robert opened the creaky front door and shop and slowly walked inside. The familiar smell of ink and machinery greeted him. Robert picked up the last copy of the Gloucester Journal, published in, by his father in that year, 1757. I'll make you proud, Father, he said aloud, with God's help. I'll keep your Gloucester journal alive. The days passed and Robert worked hard. He made the newspaper larger, improved its layout, and hired new writers. Soon, even more people wanted to read the journal. On his days off, Robert often visited prisoners in Gloucester. Then he found the cast-offs of society living in the most appalling circumstances. Most of them were sick or even dying from overwork. They lived in crowded, filthy places with almost no food. Even children were sometimes imprisoned along with the worst criminals. Robert felt sad to see these sick and starving prisoners. But what could one person do to ease the pain of so many? He decided to write about the terrible prisons in his newspaper. One evening he walked down St. Catherine Street to look for his gardener. Suddenly he saw a group of ragged children. They looked just as poor and overworked as the prisoners he visited. A little boy in tattered blue shirt swore as he tackled another boy half his size. Get your hands off of me, the little boy yelled as the two of them wrestled in the cobblestones. Soon a crowd of children gathered around, noisily cheering. Hey, stop fighting, Robert shouted at them as he pulled the two boys apart. Go home, all of you. As the children walked away, Robert asked the gardener's wife, Who are these children? Ah, pay no mind to them, she answered. Everyone calls them the white slaves of England. Slaves? asked Robert. Yes, they work 12 hours a day or longer in the mills and sweatshop. sweatshops, the woman answered. Most of their parents are in prison or dead. Robert cringed. He knew that if his father had died when he was little, he would have been one of these poor children. When do they go to school, he asked. School? They don't go to school. They have to work to live, she answered. And Sundays are the worst. It's their only day off, and they run around like wild animals. Robert knew that the future was grim for these children, who had to work all the time with no hope of education. Worse yet, with no one to teach them the good news of the gospel or how to live God's way, they were likely to end up cold, sick, and starving in the dreadful prisons. An idea began to form in Robert's mind, which he shared with his friend, Pastor Thomas Stock. Let's start a Sunday school, said Robert. School on Sunday, asked the pastor. Yes, school on Sunday, answered Robert. We'll teach them to read and write part of the day and then teach them the Bible the rest of the day. 
That's a great idea, Pastor Stock thought. Robert waited expectantly the first Sunday for the children to come to the new school, but only a few came. Marcy, why don't more of the children come to Sunday school? He asked the little red-haired girl with freckles. Marcy looked down, because our clothes ain't no good, she answered. Now I understand, answered Robert. Well, tell your friends all they need is a clean face and combed hair. Okay, Marcy? Marcy smiled. You're nice. Robert squatted down beside her. I'll tell you what, Marcy. I think you're nice, too. Here's a penny for coming to class today. If you work very hard and learn your lessons, you'll get a special reward. Really? Asked Marcy, her eyes sparkling, fixed on the candy Robert held in his hand. I'll do my very best. It didn't take long until Robert Rakes and Pastor Thomas Stock had 100 children, ages 6 to 14, attending their Sunday school. Even though the children were taught only one day a week, their behavior began to improve. Now they had something to look forward to after working so hard every day. The policemen of the city told Robert that the children weren't stealing and fighting like, any, like before. Robert waited three years to see if his Sunday schools were a success. Then he printed a story about the new Sunday schools. Soon after printing that in his journal, about 4,000 new Sunday schools were started in towns all over England. Robert even used his printing press to publish reading books, spelling books, Bible study books, and copies of the scriptures for the Sunday schools. One Sunday, Pastor Stock and Robert walked up the street to the Sunday school building. Pastor Thomas said, Robert, your father would be proud of what you've done with his newspaper. He'd be proud of your Sunday schools too, although you know everyone is calling you Bobby Wild Goose in his ragged, ragged regiment. Robert laughed. I've been called worse than that, I think, he answered. Robert looked around at the hundreds of children now attending his Sunday school, and his face grew quite serious. Pastor, my father died, and his father died before him. One day we will grow old and die too. But the world won't die with us. The world marches forth on the feet of little children. Pastor Thomas patted his friend on the back. So it does, Robert. So it does. Marches on the feet of little children. And when he died in 1811, in England, there were 200,000 children in Sunday school because one man had a vision. And the thing about the story was the children's behavior changed. They weren't little criminals anymore because of the power of the Word of God. Remember how we started the sermon? You become a believer, and then you become a disciple. And then you learn truths from staying in the Word of God that set you free. And that pattern worked in these children. They weren't little criminals anymore. It can work in you. It can work in me. Now, we've got to stay in the Word. 
You've got to stay in the Word as an individual at home. Wherever you live, you've got to be in the Word of God. But also take advantage of hearing the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And do that on Sundays. Start coming earlier at 10. Pray for our teachers. Teachers, assistants, put your whole week into your lesson. Pray. Fast. Pray for the power of the Holy Ghost. Use different teaching techniques. Don't just use the lecture method, but use visual aids and and, uh, uh, object lessons and and, and really put your all into your class so when one kid comes one week, he'll say, I want to come back next week. Maybe bring a friend with him. Really put your all. Let's have a revival in our Sunday school ministry. And that goes for adults too and senior citizens. There's a class for you. It'll help. It'll build up uh, your faith. You know, this week, it was camp meeting. I heard 19 sermons this week and preached four myself. Man, I heard stuff from people that I never thought of in my life. If you're humble enough to receive it, God is going to teach other people things you do not know so that if you will sit at their feet and hear their word, he'll teach you. Preacher after preacher after preacher got up and said things this week I didn't know. And I said, if I hadn't been here, I'd have never learned this. I'd have missed it, gone. I'd have missed that knowledge. But I was there. And I got to preach four times. And a dozen people came up to me and said, I never knew that in my life. Because God will show me things. God will show your Sunday school teacher things. God will show preachers, evangelists, missionaries that come through. Things you'll never know. But if you'll, if you'll make yourself available of everything you can, God will feed your soul and He'll give you truths that will set you free. Free from... And answer your questions. I'm amazed at how many questions God's answered. I'll close with this. B.H. Carroll was one of the greatest uh, Southern Baptist theologians ever uh, to ever live. But before he was saved, he was a skeptic. Before he was saved, he didn't even know if he believed in God or not. He was what you call an agnostic. And uh, he said that he read through the Bible. It's an unsaved man. He read through the Bible. He came up with 1,000 questions. B.H. Carroll. B. Period H. Carroll. H. Period Carroll. C-A-R-R-O-L-L. Great Southern Baptist uh, theologian way in the past, over 100 years ago. He said, I have 1,000 questions I have no answers to, but I'm going to come to God as I am and accept His Son Christ as my Savior. And he began to study the Bible like very few people ever studied the Bible. When he was getting ready to die, he said this, I have six questions left I don't have answers to. But I trust when I get to the other side, God will tell me them if I need to know it. But he said God answered over 900 questions he had because he continued in the Word. 
God wants to do that for you and for me. I got a lot of questions. I got things that just like, I don't know. People ask me, you're a pastor. I don't know what the answer to that is. But boy, there's a whole lot of other things. I'm so glad I've stayed on this path. Because there's so many other things God has given me answers to. Questions I didn't think I had any answers. There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. He knows it all. In Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Stay in the Word. If, if you need to start today, you say, I, I'm not, I'm not, I've never been in the Bible in my life. Start today. I promise you a year from now, God is going to show you things over the next year. You're going to say, man, I never knew that. Praise the Lord. And you'll be able to teach somebody else. And the next year, and the next year, and the next year. Come to Sunday school. Let's close and then we'll go eat. Turn to page number 609. Something for thee. God's done so much for us. This song says, let's do something for God. Let's do something. Let's let him get something back from his investment in us. And if you're here today and you're not saved, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. As we begin to sing, when we stand here, if you want to step out to the aisle and come down the front here, we'll have somebody show you from the Bible how you can be saved, how you can have eternal life. Today, before you leave the building, you can have eternal life. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It says that in the Bible. God doesn't say, wait till you figure it out. He just says, come as you are. All you need to know is, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. That's all I needed to know the day I got saved. Maybe you're saved and you want to encourage somebody uh, while we're having the invitation. If you don't want to come to the front, go to the back. But somebody will be glad to talk to you and show you how you can have that assurance. Would you join me and stand, if you can, page 609. If you want to come and pray, God's house is a house of prayer. You come and pray. Believers, you come.